0: Hello and welcome to the Seliman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, it's been an interesting time recently in Seliman world and in the day job. Uh, a few exciting projects coming up. Um, I'll tell you more about that probably via Instagram uh, soon enough. Um, so this is the long-awaited part two uh, of my conversation with Fiona Proven at the Calf at Foot Dairy. Um, Fiona is, well, you've learned from the first part of this this two-part um, podcasts uh, that she doesn't hold back, she's honest, she's straightforward, Uh, she is extremely charismatic and incredibly easy to listen to. Um, I mean actually I don't quite know how I've managed to do it but I've managed to edit it down from roughly four and a half hours overall of conversation about everything, I mean everything. Um, So this time we focus much more on the calf at foot dairy itself and the cows and the calves and the relationship within the herd and why she does what she does and why it's different and what she hopes to see from other businesses uh, down the line um some of what she says is quite controversial i'm sort of hoping that there is some comeback from this podcast because it's really interesting to engage with people who perhaps disagree with some of the things she's saying certainly she's not describing the norm or the way that things are done traditionally uh well in recent times certainly in the dairy industry so hopefully some people will listen to this and and come back with their their take on what she says Um, I think she's incredibly persuasive, fascinating individual so I'm just going to leave you with Fiona Proven of the Calf at Foot
1: Dairy We don't treat the cows as commodities we treat them as, um, well they're part of us I see milk, proper milk, you know whole untreated milk as being a really vital food for us I love cows. I love all animals. You know, we're all here for a reason and we're all part of um, the planet's eco-web. And obviously I had to do something with my life to make my life worth, you know, worth living, worth uh, and and meaningful. I didn't want to just be here and take from the planet. We all do need to eat. And I think a vital food is is milk and grass-fed milk and, and beef. Um i I never wanted to be a beef farmer. I didn't want to just have animals to kill them it, it just goes against the grain by taking milk, like taking eggs from hens. um I didn't feel I was hurting the cows, but then, as we know, convention com- com- dairy became commercialized um and the conventional systems are um abhorrently cruel, but that's probably because farmers been pushed into a corner to treat cows as commodities, you know be- making dairying and farming a business and I don't believe farming should be treated really as a business we all have to make a living but um, I think you know food is the most important thing apart from water and the air we breathe and a shelter uh, a cow obviously has to have a calf to produce milk and in the early days um, people, my customers possibly people that come here didn't even realize that there are things you feel you know the cows are definitely have definitely become institutionalised, but you know they're happy within the institution. Vegans will say, they're slaves, you're this, you're that, you're murderer, pedophile. It always does, obviously, um, smart with me and obviously makes me think, which isn't a bad thing. You know, the vegans, when they do have a go, it, it, I think it's a good thing because it does make sort of think and maybe think: Do I want to adjust
0: that? Well, I think the resurgence in kind of regenerative processes that are themselves very traditional, I think, is a direct response to that kind of the vegan pressure upon, like you know, dairy and beef and things like that. It's actually kind of people kind of just holding their hands up and going, oh, "Well, hang on, actually, this this is this is beneficial what we're doing." So you can't level that at us. But the bit that they always level is is that element of uh you know a a cow has to have a calf to milk and then you remove that calf almost immediately and obviously you kind of anthropomorphize that process and imagine a human baby being taken away from its mother and suddenly i mean i certainly think my my sort of experience of it changed in terms of perception uh when when i when me and my wife had had our first child you suddenly go oh You know that it just sort of opens it up for you in a way that it wasn't there before.
1: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, that bond and the cows do have that. It's instinct. Our bond with it, you you can't. When you before you have your baby, you don't know how much how much you're going to love it. You don't realise. You know you're going to, or you should do. And obviously some cows don't, you know, but mm. very few of our cows don't love their babies, but some have a much stronger maternal instinct, as with some humans. Some 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 people make better parents, don't they? And some are sort of quite indifferent to their children, very, very rarely. Um, and some cows can be like that. And actually, within our system, when you've got a cow that's a little bit indifferent, it's uh, they're easier to handle because you can take that cow straight into the parlour and milk her without the calf coming in. But the cows with that very strong maternal bond. Uh, we do have to bring the calf in with her for the first few days. We'll take the calf into the parlour first. If it's mum that's very nervous about leaving her baby and she does these little mummy moves to the calf, and you you can hear those on some of our videos, Um, she does little mummy moves. But as soon as the calf's born or just as, you know, the fluids coming out before birth, um, mum smells that and she starts these little mummy moves to the calf and it's just such a beautiful thing. And then what we do is we push the calf into the parlour first, and mum will obviously follow that calf to the end of the earth. And then mum will follow the calf in, because she might not come in on her own. And then on her own, if she does, if we do get her in, she might suddenly turn around, knock us all flying, and run out to see where her calf is. So we'll bring the calf in. Then after a couple of days, um, not such a worried cow, not you know with such a high in, a maternal instinct, Um, After a couple of days she might come in on her own but then funnily enough when you know with mums you get that you get the third day blues when we have our babies there's a after three days you mum seems absolutely fine with humans and then suddenly mum starts crying and she doesn't know why she's crying and it's not necessarily postnatal depression that's something completely different. Mm. But it is the hormones. It's that mix of that crazy rush of hormones you get. And as us with PMTs and things, we can just start crying before we, you know, before we have our period. And that's PMTs. And it's the same sort of thing. Your hormones are going bonkers. Um, And this will happen with a cow. So she might come in for a couple of days without the calf. And then suddenly on the third day, could we got oh, she's fine now. And then we get, no, it's the third day. She might be funny again. She'll get that rush of hormones. And suddenly you can't keep her in the parlour because she's suddenly got a rush of hormones. And so it's all so similar. It's incredible. And she'll rush, you know, and bring the calf in again for a few mm. days until they all settle down. Um, people who had a small holding, maybe had a, a, a cow that, um, just to milk for the house. They, you know, the calf stayed with mum because that, you know, and then with the calf of beef or um, to be the next house cow. But I say I've got a bunch of house cows, basically. I have a herd of about 20 cows, 41 head at the moment, and I'm trying to keep it micro. So I do know other people that are copying me to a certain extent, but they've only got a few cows. And for most of the year, they don't actually have milk. But we want to always say we have milk.
0: So you've got calfing going on year round, basically. You're not doing it in blocks.
1: Exactly that. We do calf just about we don't block calves we 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 carve just about all year round but i do now refuse i do think it's unnatural to carve in the winter because obviously there wouldn't naturally be grass and our cows are pasture fed a cow really wants to have a calf in the spring when there's a flush of grass for her for her milk uh her milk flow to uh to feed the calf so and the other thing is is that the winters as you know are really really long nights and as i'm here on my own in the farm um i'm the one that's up in the night checking the cows if they're due to calve, and Mm. between december and january those are fucking long nights you know
0: just to go back slightly in the process to the 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 carving and and keeping the calf with the cow so just to this is just to sort of uh, relay something i've heard said by a different dairy farmer they said that that they remove the calf immediately because well i think i think shortly after the initial colostrum because of the sort of health benefits of that obviously which are the same as they are in humans um but they remove because it's it's cr- it's crueler to keep the animal the animals together and that they actually only really bond with the person who's feeding them. The
1: colostrum is actually more vital for a calf than it is for a human. I know that if that calf doesn't get the very first colostrum within the first few hours of birth, it's practically a death sentence. It can be a death sentence, but not for a human baby. As you know, a human baby doesn't always go straight to the breast, a lot of bottle fed, and they're fine. So the, the immunity, I think a lot of the immunity a human baby gets is part plus across the the cord you know, the, uh, through the placenta and with calf it comes from the colostrum apparently but I this is what I've been told so it is more vital for a calf to get that colostrum so when the cow is in calf when she's calving down she I always say if you're going to be conventional if you're going to take the calf away from mum you take it literally before it hits the floor you've got to be there for the this is for the world this is for the mum's emotional welfare when you're carving a cow when you get the you get those fluids on you before the calf's even shown its feet the cow sometimes she knows something's passed or you've put your hand inside she knows something's happened she might turn around and she'll sniff the floor and she'll start doing the mummy moves and where is the calf she'll start looking for it because she can smell it even a first time mum can smell it and then she might smell it on you you've got it on your clothes on your hands she's imprinting on you already so, if that calf is born, you take it away. She hasn't seen the calf even. She hasn't licked it or anything. She hasn't. You take it away before she's turned around, and you have the fluids on you. She'll imprint on you. So, if you take that calf away, she doesn't know she's lost anything. I think if you're going to do that for the cow's welfare, you take it away before it hits the ground or before she's turned around to see it. If you're going to think like the vegan thinks to make a cow. Go through that to calf, produce a calf, and go through the c- carving, take it yeah. away, so you get her milk. To me, in my head, that's hideous. But and to a vegan, even just taking the cow's milk is hideous. I don't agree with um, making a cow pregnant to produce a calf so we have her milk. I just think there must be some other way of producing the same uh, the food that you need. You know, there must mm. be a better way. Um, it's just it doesn't it doesn't sit right, does it? And I couldn't do that. Some who are following our methods. uh, They take more at three months. But when the calf's about two or three months, it does really impact milk flow. And it's not worth bringing mum into the parlour, spend all that time just to take half a litre of milk because the calf's taking most of it. So that's when we turn her, what we call turning her away from the parlour. We just say, no, sorry, you're not coming in. She wants to come in because she's got used to the routine, loves it. She's made a fuss of, she gets extra feed. We've made sure we've got enough cows just so we've got enough milk going out. And what we do is, in like especially with COVID, we start to ration customers. You know, the customers that order 30 in one go, we just say, sorry, 10 these at a time at the moment. You have to order more often, little and more often. You know, and people say well, it's obviously niche. It's very expensive. No, we know it's not expensive. We know that I'm not making money. Yeah, I'm not a great businesswoman. I've probably already told you.
0: Mil- milk and dairy is not, you know, if you're doing it the way that you're doing it, is not, is not, you know, it's not big business. And also, you're keeping animals for much longer than a, a sort of a more traditional commercial a- a outfit would keep them. So that that all costs and adds up.
1: Yeah, you could say it's very hands-on, but it's night and it's very labour-intensive that's more because i haven't got the right equipment here you've probably seen my my little parlor it's not even a parlor it's just a corner of a barn i've got a couple of wooden sheep hurdles cows are so tame i don't need to um shackle them in uh, they're unrestrained and uh, they're pleased to be in there the cows bloody love you they know us indiv- like we know them individually they know each one of us they know my cross face they know i'm fucking pissed off and they they'll, they'll
0: or if it's pub night, which I enjoyed on on uh, Instagram, <laughs> what was it yesterday? Uh, just that your little your little dance. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's great. It's, like, yeah, it's pub night. I could to- totally empathise with that.
1: My daughter was like, "So, oh, mum, was it really awful, Sam?"
0: No, it was great. It was joyful. It was fully joyful.
1: It's meant to be. Like it's such fucking hard dog. It's pub night. Oh my god. I- I've- so worth living for you know I can get through the rest of the day in my in my awful trousers but they're so comfortable Sam.
0: honestly if lockdown has taught me nothing else is the value of a pair of comfortable trousers um I feel like we're straying straying off the point here a bit Fiona let's go back let's go back to let
1: me carry on mm. labor intense yeah, yes what about those calf sheds what about those calf sheds and the bottle feeding and the really unhygienic it's really hard work and clearing out the, the carving sheds we know that not the carving sheds the calf sheds yeah we know how they smell they stink the diarrhea the pneumonia you know the scouring and the pneumonia the mum looks after the calf okay and then you get this amazing beef animal from the calf because it had it couldn't have had a better start in life and you also get a better heifer so the heifer's had all that immunity in her for all those nine months all that milk you know, it's not been fed any rubbish, it's learnt how to be a member of the herd, it knows what to do, you know, it knows its place in the herd. The other thing is, so where the cruelty comes from taking the calf away for the mum is the bonding, you know, it's the loss, the heartache of the loss and the grieving. And then for the calf, I don't think the calf knows any better. It doesn't know any better. It's just unnatural, that's all. And being in a shed is unnatural, but it doesn't know any better. But it can't suck now as we know a baby comes out the womb a mammal has to suck not necessarily for food it has to suck it's that instinct it's that reflex so i don't know if you think of sucking on each other they suck each other's ears and they suck each other's navels they suck each other's willies and fannies and tails and they'll make them bleed and they'll get infected so that's why they keep them in individual pens until the sucking's gone Um, and i used to think i want to make a prototype of a a dummy you know like the babies for cows and then i thought no that's wrong
0: that's just perpetuating that same thing that you're rebelling against in a sense isn't it
1: exactly we judge each and every cow is completely individual just like us some have lots of milk some don't have much milk some barely have enough milk especially heifers for their calf. Those ones, we don't even bring into the parlour. We don't milk them. We just say, raise yourself a lovely calf, raise up a lovely calf, and then we'll think about milking you next time. The calves are all different. Some take far too much, um, and mum gets too thin. Um, She'll keep producing the milk, but she'll literally melt in front of your eyes. And I've got a few skinny cows because they're overbred. Now, they're overbred, as you know, to produce more milk on grain, on soya, on highly processed. High protein foods, um, and we don't want that in those cows. It's bad for the environment, and more and and just as much so, it's bad for us to have grain fed milk or beef or mm. that shit. So, um, so where I've got, obviously, I started with nothing practically. Um, I just bought cows from the conventional dairies. Now, when I had um, house cows, they were little stocky, old old type Jersey cows. And they did a lot better, but obviously since then they've been what they call improved, I call ruined, um, to produce more milk, to have these massive great udders. And I'm trying to breed that out, so I'm trying to unimprove them by, I can't find old type jerseys very easily. So I cross in uh, Red Pole, which is my local breed, and as you know, my ex, we had Red Pole, so I've got good contacts. Red Pole. So we have a Red Pole bull, that's the local breed to this area.
0: So a stronger, hardier breed with a bit more kind of resilience rather than just something that is designed purely for yield.
1: Yeah, that's it. Robustness. Uh, so I've got these jerseys that I've just they look like spin and bone, but they're healthy. We have a we keep a very sharp eye on them. And then I've got and they have probably four or five times as much as the red poles. I've got red poles who give much less milk but they're uh, they barely have a whiff of hay they only have to look at the hay hmm. in the winter and as fat as butter i'm trying to lower my inputs better for the environment i need an animal which will do better on less so lower input lower output but hopefully an actual profit margin you know a better profit in the middle
0: i had a question as well this is something that came up from someone who f- someone who farms sheep um asking about keeping the keeping the young in with the adult animals that that certainly with sheep and, goat, sheep and goats you have quite high instance of injury with with the kids and the lambs now in terms of you know being bashed about and trampled and this that and the other is that something that you have any issues with with the with cows
1: no but maybe i keep my stocking density you know stocking rate down and remember they're outside all the mm. time um but sheep would be too wouldn't they Often it's an excuse, this shit, this sort of stuff that you're hearing is an excuse not to do it. A bit like, you know, farrowing quirk great. Well, the pigs will, the sows will crush their young. I've worked in, you know, hideous um, factory, pig factory farms mm. and I've pulled out far more dead young than, and, the, you know, the mortality is higher anyway because of the disease and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you've just got, and maybe like, where we are talking about the old fashioned little family farm that can be worse than a factory farm, can't they? So what I'm saying is, They've obviously still not got their system right or there is something wrong within that system you'll get a cow will hoof a calf you know away you get the odd cow that doesn't like other people's calves you get cows that feed other people's calves that can be a nightmare it can be a blessing you think okay you feed your calf in that calf and i'll make i'll milk that cow exclusively so you know and then she ends up stops feeding her own calf so that's quite rare
0: but that's fascinating. You're not sort of thinking, I mean, I suppose you are thinking of it as a herd on one level, but you're thinking of it as a group of individuals with different needs, but also different kind of things to offer to the wider herd, in a sense. I mean, it's a real, it's a community.
1: We work to each cow's strength. If the cow can't be milked because she's a bitch in the parlour, then we'll we'll think, oh, well, she'll be a great suckler cow. She'll just raise calves. I don't want to get rid of her. And then she ends up breeding that bitchiness in to the herd. And think, okay, she's got to go. We've given her every chance. She's got to go, but she'll go for beef. That's a positive. Then we've got this amazing, um, big beef animal, and that's you know a cat, an actual old cow carcass. And mm. people will go and they'll pay extra for that. So I try to take those positives from every from every negative. Like she's ended up. we can't milk her because she's a complete cock or you know um or whatever
0: that's that's for the greater good you're making you're stepping in and making a a, you know a problem go away for the for the greater herd if you like but you're also producing something you know a carcass meat that is increasingly in demand it's got that kind of you know greater aging greater kind of fat better quality fat because of the the diet you know I, I wanted to know as well why because what you're doing, again, and all these people I'm speaking to who kind of fall into different sectors of this kind of wider regenerative agriculture kind of idea, if you like, movement, if you want to call it that. Um, the, the question I'm interested in is why why are other people, why aren't there more people doing what you're doing? What you're doing feels like a very natural, the farmer is a kind of symbiotic being with nature, if you like.
1: It is also, I believe it's, scalable because i i think that if you, you they'll say you know do you i don't know if you do need more staff doing this you know the mortality rate is far you know where so you're going to gain you know you get it will close the loop with the beast, you see we don't sell anything we don't sell anything live it goes straight through we go to the end produce we go to the end consumer mm. no middleman we make our price we don't take a price and it's just, I don't, I'm not answerable. If I get a shitty customer, I just tell them to fuck off, you know, and it's one customer. I can't, you can't tell the contract, your contract to, to tell you that it takes all, it's going to take your 3000 litres for the day. No. You can't tell him to fuck off. It's basically the tails wagging the dog, isn't it?
0: So is there an opportunity? Cause I think the thing that's come out of COVID for a lot of producers that I speak to mainly cheese producers, cause that's my kind of realm, if you like, um, It is this greater awareness and greater communication with a a wider direct to the customer market. So, producers that were exclusively selling into wholesale, so, you know, admittedly great wholesalers like Neil's Yard Dairy or, you know, Buchanan's Cheesemonger or Paxton Whitfield were taking, let's say, 80 to 90% of their stock and selling into restaurants. Restaurants closed, you've lost that custom almost over, literally overnight in some cases. But what those producers and the ones that are still going discovered quite quickly is that there is a real market there and that the best way to uh, get to those people when you're on a small farm in the middle of nowhere is via the internet and via things like social media. Do you think a big part of making your model scalable and kind of jumping the middleman and reaching directly to those consumers, it is the internet, is making it kind of a... You know, bringing local to a kind of bigger market if that makes sense, so reinventing local
1: during COVID, we couldn't cope we had to we uh we were absolutely inundated mm. um, I don't know whether we've kept many of those those customers, probably kept a few so many farmers don't want to deal with the public, but then I am a quite a people person, and farm in general farms aren't are they well they've been bought that you know the hardened farms are saying ones are entrenched in the in, in in old conventional farming
0: no but i bet they're good at talking about their own product i bet they know i mean they'll know their own you know they'll know their own cheese they'll you know they'll know their own milk better than anybody and and you sort of feel like well maybe maybe that just needs to change maybe people do need to find a way to be you know there's lots of a
1: lot of these farmers a lot of the farmers that you know they, they don't give a toss about the milk it's just that that's what they've only known is that we've got cows they produce, it might as well be water as far as they're concerned, it might as well be ditch water. They have to make the bottom line work, whatever. They don't care about, I mean a lot of them say that they care about their animals, well some do some don't and then um, and a lot of them just choose, they won't open that chink, they just won't, don't want to think about it.
0: So does there need to be an injection of fresh fresh blood into farming then? You know, these people who you say are like sponges, do they do there need to be more people like that going into farming?
1: Yeah, we've got to cut out the dead wood and I'm hoping that um, you know, the end of subsidies, if there is going to be an end of subsidies, as, as it stands at the moment, it should be for, you know, not the big landowners or whatever, it should be people like me, obviously, uh, should be getting subsidies. Um, people doing the right thing, I can't say that's ever going to happen um, because that ag bill went all pear shaped. But um, the thing is, is that they don't care about the product. And I think the people that decide to start selling it direct, as we are, you know, because of COVID, people are going direct to the farm they're the ones that probably did value their product, but they were stuck in contracts. And this was an opportunity for, for them to to actually think, oh God, you know, I've got to think, I have to now think outside the box."
0: So that was Fiona Proven at the Carfoot Foot Dairy. But I just want to leave you with something um, that she wrote to me in an email. I read part of a different email last time. I want to read you a piece from one she sent to me uh, subsequently to that. She said, I want others to feel encouraged not to listen to the conventional farmers to trust their gut and mother nature. She may kill you in the end but if you want to do the right thing then bloody do it. Stand up for what you believe in. I hope to die by my sword. Either that or I'll fall on the fucker. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you next time for the Seliman podcast. The Seliman podcast is produced by me Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Seliman go to Seliman Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website Sellman